Hey friends, welcome to Road to the Skeleton Coast. We're sorry we missed you on Friday. We had a few technical difficulties this week, which is the cause for the delay. We did record a podcast for the entire Keep Walking Pal record, but we ended up losing the second half of the recording. Uh, lost like a corrupted file, not like you lose your keys. Here's the first part of Keep Walking Pal. Jaw willing, we'll be back on Friday with part number two. All right, hit it! Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brandon Kelly. Brandon, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? You know what, man? I'm pretty, pretty good. Um, just getting ready for this war on Christmas, man. It's happening. You know, if if this comes out tomorrow, uh, which would be Thursday, then the war on Christmas will be tomorrow, which is Friday. Um, which, Friday, the day that our podcast drops every week on Apple, Spotify. That's right. Wherever you that's, get your podcast. So it's today. It's today. today. It's tonight. If you're listening to this, man, are you in for a treat if you go to single and find the Lawrence Arms Want Christmas. It is $11. It will feature um, performances from such luminaries as Tim McGrath, Sam Russo, um, Deanna from Sincere Engineer, Lauren of Warriors, um, Dan Andriano of the Alkaline Trio, and Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem. And it's Pretty cool. And then Chris and I and Neil will all play from our homes acoustically live. And um, then there's a segment, some other fun segments. I don't want to give everything away here. Can I come? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, heck yeah. Everyone's invited. So I got to, I got to, do I got to pay? I could probably hook it up. Put you on the guest list. Nice. Nice. The virtual guest list, the VGL. That's right. <laughs> well, for the rest of you saps, uh, we got a link available for you in the episode notes for how to pay. I'm just kidding, Brennan. I'm going to pay anyway. Even if I am on that guest list, I love paying for live music. And you know what? We, we did, uh, y'all did. And you know what? I think y'all put something cool together despite all that's happening right now. It'll be a good festive celebration. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but we got on a Zoom call. Um, stop me if I have said this because I don't <laughs> want to be repetitive. And Toby was like, all right, what are we going to do um, You know, about war on Christmas? Like, are we just not going to do it this year? We're going to fly someplace? Um <laughs> And, like, have you guys all get together, and there's a lot of reluctance to do that all around. Mm. Um, and I think from all four of us, it was like, eh, I don't know if that seems like a responsible thing. This is really kind of, like, getting worse and worse and mm-hmm. kind of a bad look. And so Toby was like, well, we could do something, like, and, well, and we also all agreed that, like, just playing in a room, it's not that interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, 
oh, we all found a practice space and like basically you're watching our rehearsal. It's like it's fine, but it's yeah. like not that cool. And so Toby was like, well, you guys are smart and clever and like I'd like to think a little more more like capable to think of and willing to do things that other bands can't or won't. What, mm-hmm. what, what do we got here? And so we came up with the idea of this variety show. And I was like, I'd like a thing where it was like, you know, a guest. And like, it was like an old like Christmas variety show, you know, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I'd like a wheel. And then somebody was like, oh, yeah. And then like you spin the wheel and like it's which guests come on. And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a great idea for the wheel. I, I just said I wanted a wheel. That's <laughs> that was as far as I thought about it. So, uh so it all is coming together. The wheel's getting dropped off at my house um, today or tomorrow. And, oh, for real? Um, custom, yes. Custom-made wheel. Custom-made wheel. And um, made by our friends, the Nixon Twins, who are um, also featured in the Meet the Crew segment. Um, ah. Which, uh, stick around to the end for the Meet the Crew segment. Um <laughs> You know, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, like, to be honest, I'm nervous, but get my guitar repaired right now. So everything should be fucking ready to fire on all cylinders. Should be the greatest show on earth. I believe that is the phrase that we've trademarked for the war on Christmas. The greatest show on earth. Is that and I'm loving it. Those are our two things that we're working with. No, ba 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 just I'm loving it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's all right. And it's funny that you mention this wheel. This is this is an exciting little thing that you've added in there. Elvis Costello did this back in the day. But what, what do most people think of when they think of a wheel that you spin? Well, damn, they think a wheel, in, wheel of fortune. And Pat Sajak's birthday just happens to be October 26th, which is the day that Keep Walking Pal was released on the year twenty in the year twenty eighteen. Wow, Amazing. that's a really good segue. Yeah, a freaking professional right here. I can't wait to talk about this freaking record with you, Brendan. But before we do that, I think we gotta let people know about our sponsors, Marty and Joe, baby. Oh yeah, Marty and Joe's Hot Sauce Co. Um, some local Chicago lads. They, um, I've watched them make this hot sauce. They're they're friends of the show, um, mm-hmm. friends of us personally, and I watch them, you know, lovingly cut the poblanos and habaneros up and mulch them and pour vinegar all over them and what mm-hmm. uh, all the shit you do and huge carrots and I mean it, it's 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 a wild scene, but the end result is something far better than you'd expect from these two fucking dungeon-dwelling miscreants just <laughs> cooking over a fucking ancient cauldron. Um, the the end results are um, some spectacular sauces with, like, really good flavors. Like, uh, you got Hot Mom Hob, which is a habanero sauce, smoking mm. Hot Mom Hob, which implies hotter moms, but it's also just a, a smoked version of the same thing. And... Um, 
They have a ghost pepper one, which I don't know the name of. They've got the, what, 666, which is the Poblano one. Mm-hmm. Um, Serrano Cider House oh, Rules. Yeah, and they have a garlic one that's really good. I mean, this shit's really just, as much as it pains me to say, it's really good. Um, it's it's good. I, I purchase it. I uh-huh. could I could lean into those guys and get it for free, but I buy it because it's so good, and I want more than they probably would want to give me for free. <laughs> um, they also have well, a family to feed too. That's so. right. They all need their hot sauce. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and they got cool fucking shirts. Um, I personally rock mm. the black on black one, which is really good looking. They've got cool koozies. Just the art is really good. Joe is a really accomplished artist in his own right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marty is a good um, marketing and design man. So the, the combination really works out very well. And uh, they've got like holiday packs and stuff like that. So if you're thinking of what to get for your ancient German grandfather who has never had a spicy thing in his life, <laughs> look, are you ever going to see him again? No. Um, you know, he's going to die from something, uh, soon and you're not, you don't want to be the person to kill him. So send him some hot sauce, let, make him finally taste the rainbow as they say, you know what I mean? Like, uh, which they marketed that one too. They also say that about DMT, I guess that's also tasting the rainbow, isn't it? Is Molly here? No, 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 not Molly. Marty. (sighs) But it's the drug that is released from your brain mm-hmm. right before you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people that have, record and has people that song. Have extracted. It. I don't think they extract it from brains. I don't know where they get it. Maybe it's synthetically produced in a lab, probably. Mm-hmm. But they say it's pretty wild trip, man. My friend did DMT one time, and uh, you know, it's like you're fucking wigging the fuck out for like 15 minutes. He's never eaten meat again. He's like lost like 50 pounds. He like exercises every day. He was like, it was a really life changing event. Are you and talking it, about Steve Seolik from the sidekicks? Is no. that what we're doing? We're talking about awkward breeds right now? No, 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 man. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about my friend Eric oh. from Colorado. Oh. And, um, he, uh, he swears by the life changing, um, effects of just one small encounter with DMT. And, if this hot sauce is anything like DMT, and I am here to tell you it is exactly like DMT, <laughs> um, you're going to want to get some. Um, it's great to use behind a 7-Eleven in the parking lot. You know, it's great to do in your car outside the grocery store. Um, <laughs> the hot Put sauce. it in your ear, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marty and Joe Hot Sauce Co. Dot Square. Dot Site. Marty is spelled M A R T I. Marty and Joe Hot Sauce Co. Dot Square. Dot Site. Go over there, throw a few sauces in the car, enter the promo code Better Sandwich, all one word. You have fifteen percent off of an order of twenty dollars or more. Start eating better sandwiches, Marty and Joe Hot Sauce Co. That's right. And the best part about their website is there is a secret Easter egg link in there where it's a photograph of my co-host, Tim, spreading his ass open, goatsy style. Um, and if you, you can find that if you uh, peruse the site long enough. Um, so, um, you know, 
go for the hot sauce. Stay for the results of the hot sauce, um, <laughs> as it were. You get it because the sidekicks have a song called DMT on Awkward Breeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I thought we, I thought we've slid past that with maximum efficiency, but here we are. <laughs> it's the best Red Scare release. That's not by uh, either you or Joe Henderer. Goddamn right. Um, that's a fucking awkward breeze. Patreon. We'll talk about that on Patreon, and we'll talk about Patreon letter. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It All is right. A great album. Red Scare Industries catalog number CCP. CCCP, Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds, LP number two, Keep Walking Pal. Like we said, the 17th anniversary of George W. Bush signing the Patriot Act, CM Punk's 40th birthday, October 26th, 2018. Brendan, what are your expectations on that day? Well, when the record came out? Yeah. Um, they were pretty much all fulfilled. I expected to put this record out to like a deafening fart sound by everyone and have mm-hmm. them be like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Um, interestingly, I also anticipated people being like, I like the first Wandering Birds record. This one's mm-hmm. garbage, which is funny because when I put out the first Wandering Birds record, it was met with an even more deafening fart sound. Um, Mm -hmm. and was considered to be garbage. So my expectations were relatively mitigated. And, uh, I said in the press release, this would be everybody's favorite record of 2021. If the last wandering birds record is any indication, and we are now coming up on 2021. And I think it is time, um, for this record to be seen for what it is, which is pretty fucking genre bending and weird and cool. And, um, like, uh, the first one, like I said, got no love. And then it was like slowly over the course of like five years, somebody somewhere was like, this is actually kind of cool. And then it gained a lot of popularity and, um, still waiting, (laughs) but, uh, but it is, uh, I think it's, I think it's history is. <laughs> to, to quote our man George W. Bush, I think history is redeeming this record, um, even as we speak. I mean, I can think of no greater sentiment leading into 2021, personally, than I need hugs. That's goddamn right. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> hugs are hard to come by these days, you know what I'm saying? And um, mm-hmm. And they're illegal. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot going on with, uh, with, with the way that this is all shaping up to be an actual real prophecy. I think I said also in the press release, I said, you don't have to like this now. History will redeem this record. I promise you. Um, just make sure to give it a spin again in a couple of years. Yeah. um, And so here we are spinning it again a couple of years later. I mean, this is all pretty uh, standard issue as far as your releases go. We go all the way back to something like Greater Story, Greatest Story, where friggin' 
people were so confused by that record and then people came around and then you got I'd rather die. People came around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that, like, um, there's ambition that comes kind of out of left field. Like, when somebody hears something like LCD sound system and they're like, whoa, man, it's like nothing I ever heard before. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that ambition within a catalog of a somewhat established artist, mm-hmm. it starts to take on a different vibe. That's a little bit more like, um, what do you think you're doing? You know? Yeah. And like, I think that a lot of people do try to like fucking reinvent themselves and, um, it's unsuccessful and you know, it, mm-hmm. it looks like shit and people that, want to hear jump around by house of pain maybe don't want to hear you know what it's like you know but like there is a point where like if the songs are there that and if you sort of age with the artist or whatever or you know time continues on then you go oh that was like a really kind of cool ambitious undertaking for that person to do that. And uh, I'm not trying to blow like that kind of smoke up my ass. I'm no Everlast, dude. But, uh, you know, at the same time, um, you know, this was, this was a definitely an ambitious project that I didn't have any question would be received poorly when it came out. Mm-hmm. So when does when does it start coming together? Um, in between, I'd rather die than live forever. Lawrence Arms put out Metropole, Falcon put out Gather Up the Chaps. It's a matter of, all right, I'm a person who has three projects now, or was there a little bit? Was there a different type of impetus to? this one as it came together well i mean the thing is like when we did metropole we hadn't done anything in so long and um so it was really like inspiring to like get back into like writing rehearsing going to the studio the whole thing Mm -hmm. and then like doing a lot of touring and then so that kind of inspired me to write the falcon record and then i'm like working with all these artists that i really don't work with you know Dave Haas mm-hmm. being the primary example and Danny who I have worked with in the past, but you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a regular stuff. thing. And, and of course, Neil, who's there to like kind of hold it down and, mm-hmm. you know, and so, um, and so then that was really fun and really inspiring. And then, you know, Nick, who's my partner and, Wandering Birds was sort of like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we should, you know, write some more songs or whatever. And I think I started just writing the songs and then it started coming together. We started getting really excited about it. And then um, we got Dan Tinkler on board to do the engineering. And it was like the last days of Atlas. So we kind of squoze in to do... Um, 
Well, we did we did the song on the Red Scare comp. Me and Nick, the um, Gloosday Evening Blues, mm-hmm. and that that was something that like, and I I don't know where in the timeline that falls, but it kept us like enough of like an active organization that there was always a thought of like more songs, you know, and mm-hmm. and I really liked how that song turned out, and um, then uh, I did, what comp was that? It was a really weird one for me to be on. It's like John Nolan's record label. It, it was called like music for peace or some shit like that Uh music for people who like music something something along those lines where we did the borden usa song Uh uh-huh and i employed derek grant to do that with me and um and tinkler helped out with that as well and then nick heard that and was like i'm gonna fucking no 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 we're not you're, you're not doing wandering birds without my footprint on it you know uh-huh. fingerprints on it whatever and i think it just kind of started from there you know kind of like that meme with the one girl walking and the guy looking back and the other girl looking at him like what uh-huh. you know it's like that kind of thing sometimes hey sometimes you got to look back and then that'll kick everybody into gear you can you know get back to doing what you love i have no idea what comp you're talking about um but that's okay. I just yeah, it's. It. it was called like music for people who like music or. Okay. Music for peace or some shit like that. I can't. It was it was like a real one off thing. I think all the proceeds went to the ACLU. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just something that I really wanted to be a part of. And then, so I had this idea for this waterboarding song that would sound like the Beach Boys, mm-hmm. and to have it be on this on this comp that was like supposed to be like a politically minded comp i'm like well, i'm going to make the most politically minded song on the whole comp by far and the most like politically um damning of our like sort of um i don't know what you want to say cultural colonialist colonialist regime mm-hmm. but i'm going to make it sound funny as hell yeah, you know, and so it stands like way out on the comp, mm-hmm. and which it does. I mean, like the other people on the comp are like Frankie Arrow and stuff like that. Uh huh. You know, so it's like it's a lot of like sort of like post emo, I guess. I don't know if that's like a bad word, but it's a lot of that. And then there's this like fucking Beach Boy song in the middle. Yeah, it's got like some of the fucking darkest lyrics of anything I've ever written. It's so dark. Um, well, while we're on the topic of that song um because we're gonna do a track by track like we used to um but did you did you clear anything with using that fun 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 melody or was that one that they took from chuck perry or something Mm, no i never cleared shit with anybody i mean the songs aren't the same it's just uh i mean Right? Like, that's kind of their thing. But there's, like, 10CC has a song like that, too, which is uh, Rubber Bullets. Never got into 10CC. Ooh, 10CC is a great band. They do – their most popular song is called Dreadlock Holiday, and that's really good. Mm -hmm. And then Rubber Bullets is real, real good. But um, 
it does that what he can now yeah and uh and it it just seems like a fairly public domain uh yeah musical trope sure. to me like i and i'm not fucking clear i think the goddamn beach boys to put out a song on a fucking charity comp like well, get the I, fuck, fuck I out of here. just thought i'd ask no 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 yeah like mike love yeah he seems like a really <laughs> nice reasonable guy that probably is locked up with the politics oh. behind john the nolan's worst. aclu comp so so no to answer your question i did not um clear anything with that So, you talked about uh, about Derek, and Derek has uh, his fingers in uh, a lot of this record based on the liner notes. How wh- how else was he helping out on here? Well, sort of the way that this entire record worked was, with the exception of that song with the exception of the boarding USA song where I play the rhythm guitar. I would send demos to either Derek or to Nick and they would construct the entire thing and Mm. drums, bass, guitar, everything. And then I would come in and do the lead vocals and then do the lead guitars. Mm. Right. And, uh, so it was kind of like being like Ariana Grande or something in a way where it's like you have a producer that just like builds the entire song out and then you just come in and sing it. But then I also put electric guitar on it, you know, where it was yeah. sort of needed. And um, it was with both of them. <laughs> they were like, you know, so one of the first songs we did for the record. I mean, if we're going to go through track by track. I won't get too into it, but. Basically, for both of them, I was like, whatever you think I want for this song, I want you to do the exact opposite of that. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. I really want the songs to stand as, like, this sort of, like, dingy country saloon kind of music, but I want the shit underneath it to be wild. Yeah. And, like, I don't ever want to lean into, like, fucking trap kit banjo. Yeah. You know, know, stand-up bass sort of territory. Like, we're... I want this to be, like, a genreless record, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the, the working mantra on the wall or whatever as we made this record. Was Was there... Oh, go ahead. No, no. Was there any um, back and forth, I guess, when you have a song that's presented to you as, are you 100%, okay, this is what I'm working with, or are you making suggestions or revisions? Um, That's a great question, and it like kind of like clicked something in my brain that Thank you. I don't, like I don't totally have a handle on being able to remember, but... Um, I believe there was one song where Nick sent me something and I was like, mm, I don't know about this. I want to, God, I can't remember what it would be though. 
I mean, maybe, maybe it'll click in. Um, yeah, we'll see. Like you said, it was a great question. Um, <laughs> just, just come up with this shit. Um, you said you when you appeared on uh, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, uh, starring me and my assistant David Anthony. Uh, you you noted that Derek does so much of the auxiliary instrumentation and backing vocals for the trio. Um, he, we don't really know much about like Derek other than the fact that he's a great drummer and we know his like discography, but yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Derek is like, <laughs> Derek is a fantastic drummer. Derek is also a fantastic guitar player and a fantastic bass player and has a, amazing voice and he also has like a real command of like i don't even know what you call it these days like i'm not even sure what like a midi is but i assume mm-hmm. it has something to do with like um a keyboard that goes through your laptop kind of um mm-hmm. situation um and he's he's just incredibly talented and little funny little known fact about Derek is he was really into the misfits when he was like 14 his nickname was reaper he had a um, devil lock. I actually have the picture because I had this picture. He gave it to me when like he was 15. It was a school photo. And um, I encouraged him to do something with this picture because it's so fucking funny. Um, and I'm going to show it to you, Tim. And I'm just going to let your reaction be what... Um, so this is Young Reaper. He he ended up making enamel pins of this um, based on me being like, dude, you've got to dig out that old fucking photo. So he went to a school. He was like kind of, from what I remember, and I could be wrong about some of this, but I remember he was like kind of one of the only white kids in the school. You know, he was a fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. Huge devil lock. Called himself Reaper. Sold acid. Got this photo taken, brought him home to his mom. This was like back, you know, a long time ago when it wasn't like a digital camera. You didn't get to see the photo and redo it. So his mom uh-huh. just got all these wallet sizes of this and was like, the fuck am I going to do with these? And um, and so he just ended up writing his phone number on the back and handing them out as business cards for his like <laughs> acid dealership or whatever. And I guess everybody in the school was like, Oh shit! Let me get one of those cards. Because, <laughs> um, here's the photo, Tim. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Better Sandwich. It's up there if you're listening and it's worth the price of admission. I literally keep that in my wallet because I love it so much. I, it, I, yeah, the fact that you were just pulling it out of your wallet made my um, heart. But so, so Young Reaper, um, as you can probably tell from the, um, the photo, was really into the misfits and he, somehow got Jerry Olney's phone number and started calling him. They started talking on the phone and shit. And um, 
And Derek, being the virtuoso he is, started doing like covers of Misfits songs where he'd play the guitar, bass, and drums and sing, mm-hmm. right? And send them to, to Jerry. Mm-hmm. And they developed quite a friendship. And I mean, like, Derek is friends with all those guys, I think, at this point. Is he friends with Michael Graves? I don't think so. Um, but that's significant in this story because when Glenn left the Misfits, the first person they called to replace him, Derek Grant. No way. Yeah. And Derek was like, I am 14. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am... I'm in a band called the Suicide Machines, you know, mm-hmm. and like we're doing our own thing, but thank you. But that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So so Derek has been very talented for a long time. There's an old compilation called American Scothic. Hmm? It's a ska comp. And mm-hmm. it was like Slapstick existed, but we weren't cool enough to be on American Scothic one. We were on American Scothic too, but um, what uh, what number were you in the track listing? Number sixty nine. Um, I don't remember. Um, nice. I think near the end. Nice. Um, but uh, but there's a band on there called the Scholars from Detroit, and that was all Derek. I mean, he yeah. played everything on that and sang it, and then the Scholars went on to become an actual band, which I'm like. I mean, I guess there's a lot of bands with no original members, but that's a little weird. You know, it's just yeah. like one guy and then it becomes a band. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like, well, we'll be the scholars. And they would play that song, I think, which is weird. But, yeah, so, <laughs> so Derek's, Derek's very talented. And, when, and, you know, I've known Derek since just about, like, maybe two years after that photo was taken, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, we get along very well and – um I have a great deal of respect for him and several times I've asked him to do something for me in like a pinch mm-hmm. where I'm like, I need music for this or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. always come through and he's a, it's a real mensch as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for f- sharing that photo. It's f- <laughs> incredible. Truly. So you mentioned that, you started this out in uh, Atlas, end end of times, over there on the north side. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was the coolest Atlas. That was the coolest Atlas. Yeah, um, it's a good story too. So Matt rented that place out, and it was like the bottom floor, and it was like you'd walk by like some storefronts, and then there was a door that was really unassuming, and you would open that door, and you would go down like an mm-hmm. alley that was like completely enclosed. Mm-hmm. And then you get to another door and that was where Atlas was. And him and Neil, like, as far as I know, like hung the drywall, leveled the floors, did all the soundproofing, everything. Yeah. Right. They like built it into a studio. And it was there for a long time. And then, you know, obviously went through a lot of iterations from Matt, like, Really being there all the time, like doing stuff like Okokata and On the Impossible Past and all that kind of stuff to um, this addiction to then sort of him like farming it out to like some other people, mm-hmm. right? Justin Yates, Dan Tinkler. Matt Jordan. 
yeah, these these younger engineers and the place without Matt being there all the time sort of fell into a little bit of a state of disrepair, but it was still dope. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the landlord, I hope I'm not talking out of school here. Who cares? I don't give a fuck. Um, the, the landlord came in one day and was like, Hey man, I'm going to have to kick you out at the end of the month. Like, cause I guess the lease was not like a year lease. It was like, he just been there so long that he was just uh-huh. paying rent. Right. And, um, and I might be filling in some gaps that I'm not qualified to fill in, but I feel like you guys all know me by now. That's sort of what I do. Um, and so, um, and Matt's like, what? And he's, <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the landlord's like, yeah, see, so my, my, my son is 30. He was born without testicles. <laughs> and he's having kind of a hard time fitting into society. And so I feel like I need to give him this space. And it's like, oh, yeah, the basement space with no windows down the secret alley behind the two doors. Yeah, mm, nothing's going to fucking just indoctrinate you into it. Polite upper crust society, like living down here with no testicles. Uh, fucking, and I, I would like to say for any of you out there that have no testicles, that wish you did, uh, that not a bad thing. I mean, like, I'm not trying to make fun of the guy for having no testicles. I'm just, I find it funny that that's what the landlord was leaning on as like the, the, the thing that he was like, the reason <laughs> he was uh, giving Matt to vacate. Okay. So I'm uh-huh. not trying to fucking shame anybody out there, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, and I was just like, what? You- oh yeah. No, your, your son that's 30 that you think can't like, socialize with anyone and fucking put him in the basement, acknowledge him as some sort of like freak by your standards. It's like, what are you going to cut a hole in the roof to like lower some fish heads down there for him as well? (laughs) You know, like, um, and like fucking two weeks later, it was done. (laughs) There was no more Atlas. Wow. (laughs) Like, Matt took me out for a beer because I'd started doing this record and he was like, okay, so something's come up. <laughs> and I mean, what a tale, man. That's insane. Yeah. So that's the end of Atlas. Um, and after that, we moved into Nick recording remotely at his um, mom's house in Michigan and Derek recording in Detroit in his whatever studio situation he had out there or has. And then me recording in Tinkler's room or studio room in his house. Mm-hmm. And that, that's sort of the way the record came together. But there's a couple of things that did happen in Atlas. And I got to be honest, I'd be hard pressed to tell you what they were. It was a couple of vocal takes and a lot of, I don't know, maybe maybe there's other stuff that I'm not thinking of, but like it, did you it do was drums there at least. We did do some drums there, yeah. Um 
Yeah, Tinkler played the drums on the original Waterboard, um, Borden USA song. Um, mm-hmm. And that was in Atlas. Um, there might have been another drum drum track or two that was recorded there, but I don't really remember. I mean, I remember mostly... There's not a lot of live drums on this record. Mm. You mm. know, so... Yeah. And and there are okay, there are live drums, but they're all like backed up by like a MIDI. Mm-hmm. You know? So um uh it wasn't as crucial to have like the big room sound. Yeah. Um totally. Yeah. So So Tinkler produced it and i i'd say by gather up the chaps it's like cool Did, was there any other consideration no not at all i mean like you know obviously like there's two different kinds of like producing that goes on right and um the producing of the individual tracks um from an artist perspective was Derek and Nick Mm-hmm. Um, Dan produced the whole album overall, and he was the engineer on the record. And um, although he only mostly engineered like vocals and mm-hmm. guitar solos, mm-hmm. you know, um, there was not a lot of live instrumentation that he and I did together. Most of that stuff was done offsite, for lack of a better term, and. Uh, you know, at a certain point, Dan was like doing so much and like he played the drums, he played a guitar solo. He played the guitar solo in uh that Borden USA song as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Well, you're in the band. I mean, that you're uh-huh. you know, so <laughs> Dan is officially a member of the Wandering Birds. If if for no other reason than for his tireless selfless efforts to make this thing happen and it's it's a weird project to put down in front of someone like uh-huh so me and nick nick is like my technically my oldest friend like i was friends with him for about a year before i was friends with chris mm-hmm. and when we were really young nick got a four track and a bass and a guitar started like recording stuff and started inviting me over and we would record stuff because we both had heard Dead Milkman, Bucky Fellini, and we both mm-hmm. really loved it. And um, so there's these, <coughs> excuse me, demos of me and Nick playing stuff when we were like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. The first song we ever recorded together was a song called Fish in the Sea. And it was really pretty good. Um, really, really, really good. We sounded, we tried to sound like the Dead Milkman exactly. That was yeah. what we were going for. And Bucky Fellini is like, that's Dead Milkman era where it's, you know, borderline only song parodies, really. Uh, Bucky Fellini is, a, there's a lot of like parodic stuff going on there, but it's also, I mean, it's got some fucking jams on it, man. Uh, City yeah, of Mud. I love Bucky, uh, Bucky Fellini. 
you know, but like, yeah, you're thinking of like, you'll dance to anything, but I think mm-hmm. that stands out on the record because it's of it. Like it's the exception that proves the rule. Like, I think that most of the songs mm-hmm. really were like legitimate, you know, punk songs for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, they do seem weird now. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think there's a lot of, like a song like going to Graceland. That's just like a punk song. Like it doesn't, there's not like a parodic element to it, you know, or it is like ship. It's like stealing a little bit from the, yeah, well, I mean, listen, stealing is cool. Um, (laughs) jellyfish heaven. No, I take it back. I think you'll dance to anything is, uh, is a parody song, but the rest of that record is pretty fucking solid. Mm -hmm. And so me and Nick started playing and then we did all this. And then just like a few years later, um, we had Chris, you know, start playing with us. Mm-hmm. And so it was the three of us and we'd play and we'd like switch off instruments and stuff like that and record. And, um, we would do these, like, we just get super stoned or like take shrooms, mm-hmm. hit the four track and then just start playing and we'd all just like kind of jam, but also kind of like try to like make it like every once in a while, like we'd be like in a groove and then like somebody would just like hit a chord in the wrong key, like on purpose to like switch the whole thing around. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, and we'd have these like long ass songs. And then after that was done, I would sing over them, but all. Um, improvised mm-hmm. right and uh, it was one of the greatest like artistic experiences that I could ever hope to have had like like working with Nick and Chris and and just like the notion that like it's like most of this is going to be fucking dog shit uh-huh. but every once in a while there's going to be a moment that is like so transcendent that's like you couldn't have written that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it had to come from nothing. And like and it it was really sort of empowering in the notion that like everything you write doesn't have to be good. You just have to pick the good parts. Totally. You know, and and it was also just like great experience with like recording, with singing, with, you know, in my case very much uh improvising mm-hmm. um and just sort of learning what works and what doesn't and it was so we did this like kind of all through high school i think when we were seniors the three of us played a show at my school and it was fucking hilarious we did an independent study actually the three of us no shit how to make a rec how to make a record and we made a seven inch and we had it like pressed on vinyl and everything whoa any of those floating around? No, eh, maybe we didn't actually get it pressed on vinyl. Now that I <laughs> think about that, like uh, we said, we were going to. That was part of it. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was like the end game. But then I just had to hand in like the contact information for the vinyl pressing plant. We didn't actually have to produce the actual vinyl or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so this is a very long winded way of saying. This Keep Walking Pal record 
is a manifestation of everything that we fucking did back then. Mm-hmm. Done. Like, this is the record that Nick and I have been dying to make since we were, like, 10 years old. You know? And it's like, you can tell me all fucking day that it sucks, and the only thing I can tell you is, nope, it's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Like, it. it's just like... This this is like our shit that we mm-hmm. fucking grew up doing, and obviously it's been informed by a lot of other things. It's like you fucking get old, you see some shit like yeah, weird. Totally. I mean, like we were already tra- tra- uh, trading in weird darkness back then. From what I remember, record- when you described this band, you said all the songs were about dicks. So no, no, that was that was the um, that was the. Uh, the band that was just me and Chris, both on guitar, oh, okay. just singing. And uh, um, that band had a lot less, had more structure, mm-hmm. but less of a lineup. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a very solid lineup. It was me and Chris on guitars. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, we would just write a record and then record it like every weekend. We would sit down, we'd write. 20 punk songs mm-hmm. hit record on the like task cam, uh, you know, double cassette thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just like blast out those 20 songs and, <laughs> and it would just be guitars and vocals. Yeah. But that was, that was more structured, honestly, because we would like write the lyrics down and we'd like think out the songs uh-huh. and like the stuff that we were doing with Nick was just like complete freeform shit. Mm. But and again, most of it was terrible. But every once in a while, man, gold in those hills, man. Mm. We're gonna take ourselves a little break. We'll be right back. There's a really new craze and it's really, really making the scene now. We're back, and and Brandon, what a great time to tell everybody about our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. It's probably the greatest time that there's ever been to tell them about the greatest time that you can possibly have on the internet. It doesn't involve, you know, either yelling at somebody for their um, deeply held beliefs or buttholes. Um, I, I think that the third thing is entertainment. On the internet. I think it goes argumentative, um, shit posting disguised as discourse. Then right next is uh, pornography. And then third, you and me, buddy. Oh, yeah. Because you want entertaining. You think this is entertaining? <sighs> Patreon.com slash better sandwich. I agree. But Patreon.com slash better sandwich. All the more entertaining. All the more. It's true. Yeah. Um, you should check it out. We have a lot of good interviews with people over there. There's a lot of exclusive stories and just uh, content that you won't see anywhere else. If you want to see the Reaper photo, for example, you cannot see it here. <laughs> it might be over there. You never know. And you can vote on the songs that we talk about on this very program. Mm-hmm. Goddamn right. So back to the matter 
at hand. Let's look at this cover. We, Patrick Howdick took the picture. Where is this picture taken? It's in my basement. That is where I'm sitting right now. Amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that is my my best friend, Angie. Um, uh, I asked her if she would be willing to come over and wear something low cut and wear a ski mask. And then like the way the picture turned out, you don't even notice that she's wearing something kind of, mm-hmm. um, evocative, but the picture turned out perfect. So I, <laughs> I don't like, and that's, that's, uh, obviously Tinkler and Nick in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman in the ski mask has just been a consistent thematic image on the cover of all the records so far. From the seven inch mm-hmm. to um, the first album to this, and uh, yeah, we just thought it'd be cool to have like sort of like a weird pervy like sort of bar set up. There's a bunch of like British pounds and shit like in front of us on the yeah on the card table. Oh, that's what those are. Yeah, and yeah, no, it's it's actual money in some places, Tim. Uh, <laughs> much as it doesn't look like it. Um, and, uh, and then like, you know, like the weird drinks, it's just like sort of to create like a sort of, I don't know, most Isley Cantina kind of vibe, but like also like a little like fucking like shitty, like boiler room version of James Bond, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. like that, that was, that was sort of the notion was like just real small time crime, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the movie American Movie, mm. um, mm-hmm. which is about a documentarian, well, it's by a documentarian who's covering his like neighbor, who's making a movie about a horror movie about witches, so he can fund his main movie. It's called Northwestern, which is a hilarious <laughs> series of schemes, by the way, um, and. When he describes Northwestern, he's like, it's a criminal movie, but it's not about, you know, a briefcase with $50,000 in it. It's about two fucking burnouts knocking on a screen door at 4 a.m. looking for more weed, you know? And, and like, that's just a really evocative thing to me. And that's sort of the the vibe that I was kind of going for here. Like, not like... Not in terms of like mulleted burnouts, you know, like, like, but small time crime, but living large. You know, you got a beautiful woman in a ski mask. You got a bright green cocktail. You got a bunch of British pounds. Mm-hmm. Got a full bar behind you. You know, yeah. It's like if the idea is Casino Royale, you are in the uh, basement of a casino in Reno. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's like the once the Casino Royale gets shut down by James Bond, this is the casino that uh, that guy opens up next. Uh, which, yes, Reno or <laughs> Wisconsin or something like that. Yeah, you know. Quick sidebar uh, to revisit yeah. a topic that uh, we've covered on this show. Is it about having testicles? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. The briefcase full of money that 
Josh Brolin finds in No Country for Old Men is the exact same briefcase as the one that Steve Buscemi's burying in Fargo. Money is set up the same way, same briefcase, just worth noting. Yep, as I as I said, what, yesterday or the day before, I almost guarantee you that that's a, there's an antecedent to that. I think I said in those exact words. Did I say that to you yesterday and forget about it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because yep. you can tell by my response, because I can tell you remember my response. The fuck's going on in my head? So yeah, as I said, as I said the other day, it's like I'm sure that's the way the briefcase is set up in like the Maltese Falcon or something like that. The cones are too astute, specific, not to. I'm embarrassed. Yeah, well, it's not like you shit your pants. Well, yeah, no, totally not like I did that. <laughs> um, Katie Hovland did this tile imagery that is all around the top and on the inside dave holtz did that dave holtz did that i could have sworn no katie took the picture inside oh okay which was gonna be the cover but then it just like wasn't like popping enough for me i mean i liked it was what i wanted it to be but i gave kind of bad art design on Mm -hmm. it and then i wasn't there for the photo shoot Mm -hmm. and when i saw it i was like this is cool, but it's not album cover cool to me, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to include it because it is it is kind of neat. But I don't know what I would have done differently. Hosed it down. I mean, like, they literally got, like, a square of cement and, like, you know, did the entire thing from scratch. So it's... Really cool. They actually like is... build in the concrete. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And then I was just like, I don't know, like panties and pills and like some trash. But I don't know. It all looked a little like safely placed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like now that it's been a while, like I can think of it and with like more objective hindsight. And I, I mean, I can only blame myself. Like I, you, you, like I didn't give good art direction and then i wasn't there for mm-hmm. it so but it ended up being a really good thing because this is one of my favorite album covers that yeah i i have of any album cover. Mm-hmm. it's yeah it's really good and like it communicates i think everything that this record is about um you look great. Thanks. Yeah, you are you are the embodiment of the person who is singing on this record. That is for sure. And I'm not just saying you are you. I'm saying that guy right, right. wrote these songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so what was the what was the idea with the concrete though? Because it's it is kind of interesting. It reminds me of like you know a restaurant. Um, with just like, you know, those bad tile designs on the table. Yeah. Well, the first song, which is called keep walking pal, Mm -hmm. it's one of the first lyrics. It's like, 
Bury me where the concrete meets the sky. I want all the pretty girls to see right where I lie. And dip their fingers in the wet cement and write keep walking pal right where I used to sit. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just, that's it. That's 100% of what my thought was behind it. Totally. Like, just want to have that image out there. So, I like that opening line a lot. Mostly because it's kind of confusing. Like, where where does the cement meet the sky? I'm not sure I'm following like, the physics of that request. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the idea is just like, you know, bring me the horizon or whatever. You know, like a sort of, <laughs> yeah. but not as lame. Um, yeah, yeah. Sidebar. Here's a sidebar for you. That's the last line of the first Pirates of the Caribbean album. That's where they got their fucking band name. Oh, for real? That's a movie based on a fucking ride at Disney World. <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, of actors uh, stealing their the gimmick from uh, rock and roll musicians, that's Tom Waits Australia interview. Unbelievable. Crazy, yeah. right? The freaking Joker. Yeah. Yeah, you you um, will have to listen to our Patreon to know what Tim is talking about. But if you're any of our fucking Patreon people, then you know exactly what he's talking about. And it's true. <laughs> Tom Waits is the Joker. Tom Waits is the original Joker. Um, but we should really save that for the other side, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. No more. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Um <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, no, the idea was like, just like sort of throw me under the concrete somewhere mm-hmm. out there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like not, there's not too much like real specificity that was supposed to be involved with that. It's just like, just like throw me, throw me down. Just, just drive me out. Totally. Throw me under. You know, but I guess the the one thing that is sort of implied there is like, but I want it to be seen. Right. You know, and I want everybody to like mourn it. So it's, I mean, it's the fucking narrator of this album's like whole thing is like, no, nothing's that important except for do exactly what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, like it's it's like the the epitome of like any sort of like fucking cool sociopath of which I find that most of them are hippies. Like if you've ever had a hippie boss, mm-hmm. you're like, no, no, it's cool, man. It's cool, man. And then you like show up five minutes later. It's like, what the fuck? You, you know, and then they just start screaming at you. Uh-huh. Um that was uh, Gary from Record Exchange for me. Um, <laughs> but hopefully this doesn't come across as hippie-ish. No. Although there might be a little bit of that in there. Just, yeah, this is... Um, I'm from the 90s. I don't know. This reminds me a lot of um, of your guy, High. I'm raising Arizona. I, I, oh, H.I. McDonough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It, like, there, there is something there, right? Like... Baby, I'm an astronaut, and you're my enterprise. Like, that is, that is like, the kind of, like, sweet line that he would say. And then 
maybe not even realize that the next line is so pervy. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, like, I I really enjoy this song as a opener on this record because, first of all, the beginning is just really simple. And then when Nick's, like, instrumentation comes in, it's like, you can almost see the animation of, like, the Garden of Eden blooming around it. Like, it's just so, like... Yeah. And it's just, like... And it's just such an unexpected place for it to go. And then it ends with, like, this, like, super creepy thing. But then it sounds really sweet, I think, too. And I think it's, like, the sort of mission statement for the whole thing. Yes. Listener, going to warp you on this ride... In a shitty club, we're on the last damn number. Is that a Stonecutters mm-hmm. reference? No, no, no. It's member. Um, and the idea is like, you know, I ain't trying to remember. I'm just trying to stay high while I'm here. It's sort of like I'm done caring about stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And in a shitty club, we're on the last damn number. The implication is that everybody else has either moved away, uh, stopped their shenanigans, uh, or died. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you alone are the shitty club. Well, at this point, yeah, I'm the last member. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> it being a shitty club is it's the club's and fault. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, it's the... the well, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, man, I joined the shitty club. Everybody else fucking stopped, and now here I am, and I don't remember anything that happened in the last 17 years. What the mm-hmm. fuck? <laughs> There's an excellent dialogue on Genius regarding the line about the stars being dead, and it starts out with someone saying, actually, stars aren't really dead. And this late article that says, well, the stars actually aren't dead when they get here and then somebody else like responds like in earnest like well i think what he's saying is that he feels like uh his star is burning out and it's like yeah yeah huh (laughs) yeah and and here's the other thing not to put too fine a point on it but like even if you just want to take it at like the literal fucking meanings of the whole thing. Um, there's more dead stars than there are fucking existing stars. There just mm-hmm. are. Like, that's just kind of how the universe and entropy works. Um, so, yep, there's stars. They do die. They they get big. They become supernovas. They become white dwarfs. And then they die. Um, and they are out there. Uh, dead. You know? It's, it's, it's just absolutely absurd to think that in a fucking infinite universe where anything is possible, there's no such thing as a goddamn dead star. Uh, give me a fucking break. And yeah, like, uh, uh, and the whole thing is like, we are like the stars. The city drowns, you know, mm-hmm. like we drown, we drown here in our like fucking cups and bottles and we're bright, but we're distant because we're like fucking conditioned by city living and we're dead before we even hit the ground. 
it's I hope it's clear that that's a metaphor and I wasn't trying to like put this into colliers or anything as like some sort of like scientific diatribe. I mean, it's fucking, is is it bad poetry? Eh, I don't know. Sure. Like I'll give you that if that's what you want to say. I'm not going to sit here and defend anything. I don't give a fuck what, you know, about your opinion, but like, uh, it's still poetry. Very obviously. You know, so you you kind of mentioned that you know it's this, it's a mission statement for the whole record. So this, I think it reads pretty easily as just like, oh, this is one fucking like weirdo journey with one weirdo uh, behind the wheel the whole time. Is that yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think it's this is all a very exaggerated version of like sort of my like id and impulses like coming to light in sort of dark and perverted ways if I didn't have like the ethos that I have mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. to combat said id um but I'm not saying that I would be like a fucking uh sex trafficker or a uh, serial killer but like it was just like the whole thing is an exercise and yeah this weirdo he will do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to like get to the thing that he needs totally you know whatever that may be yeah i think that like the the exploration of it is something that I mean, it, it's interesting, like, thinking about this in terms of the time that it comes out. Were you, like, were you at all weary? I'm not, I'm not saying that you that you should be, but this is, um, you know, things that are, in the last few years, have been definitely in flux in terms of, like, the conversations that people are having about stuff like this. Was there any, anything? No, this is, this is just art, man, and... I stand by that. And if anything, this is a continuation of the political statement that I was sort of making with the first record. And I don't want to sound self-important because I'm not important at all. And who cares what I fucking think or say, but like the first wandering birds record was a treatise on like, Oh, you don't like this dude's fucking hip hop songs. Check this out. Mm -hmm. You know, like, defend this then you know or absolutely like round me up as someone that drives around in a fucking ice cream truck you know like go ahead i know what i do you know and uh this is a continuation on that theme where it's like i feel like it's important to have like art that subverts even like the art community you know um Mm -hmm. and like i don't I think that there is a very fine line. Eh, maybe it's a broader line between like some of those, like those old punks that like will remain unnamed that like try to like be like quote provocateurs mm-hmm. through like racist, sexist shit that's just like a fuck sluts. Yeah. You know, and like that kind of thing, which. 
I don't know. That kind of stuff doesn't really bother me, but it doesn't really make much of a statement. Right. It, it, all it is doing is like trying to like get a reaction out of people. Uh-huh. And what I'm doing is trying to, you know, whether successful or not. And, uh, you know, um, next year we'll, uh, figure out if I'm successful or not. Um, was make something that was like genuinely provocative in a like, can't you see the humanity behind this sort of like miscreant mm-hmm. behavior? And like, isn't there something like intriguing about it beyond like just being insulting? Like, I don't think there's a point where this narrator in this album is like insulting anyone. Mm-hmm. It's more just like, is it objectifying? Yes. Is it um, self-serving? Absolutely. Is it? But it's also like, is that what Raskolnikov was in fucking Crime and Punishment? 100%. You know? And like, and as I've said before, and I said when we did the fucking I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever episode... I don't think anyone is accusing Dostoevsky of murdering landladies. You know, mm-hmm. like it's spoiler alert. Uh, on the, like the fifth page of *Crime <laughs> and Punishment*, he murders his landlady. Um, but <laughs> if you can make but, it that uh, far, he murders his landlady. But but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do like, know what you're saying. It's like the shadow and, self, and it's there. It exists. Like. Well, it's like, you can't, can you not explore darkness anymore? Like, I don't believe in that. Mm. I believe that you, you can, and I believe you should, and I believe it's fun. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. beyond anything else, like, beyond me, like, justifying doing it from, like, a political perspective or from a perspective of, like, some sort of culture warrior, um, even though, albeit from a weird tack mm-hmm. of culture war, um, I think it's just cool, man. It's fun. Totally. Like, I like movies about fucking murderers. You Dude, know? I watched No Country for Old Men the other day. Uh- yeah, this is about... Yeah, but, but like that... No, but it's... Do you know what I'm I saying? Do. I know. It's like, I do know what you're saying. I think... It's like, I like the exploration through art of like a dark pathos, man. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And, and the and the fact that it seems like it's like totally like verboten to do only makes me want to do it more mm-hmm. and do it in a way that's like artistic enough that people could be like, well, that's okay. Jason Diamond did a fantastic essay that's on the back of the packaging here. Um, to his point, and we'll, we'll talk about Jason uh, in a second because I missed it, but he he writes it like this it's such a trap to fall and you start thinking of what you could have done would have and should have done and the clock ticks away as you do it you get older you waste away there is such a real desperation that is inside this character and it's like everything that he's doing is with the like longer term intention if he does have like 
I think his media, his long is like our medium term, but it's the, it's the desire to like get out, to turn it around, to find like the one last, you know, the last score where you can turn and just like be good forever. And it's not happening. And he's dragging himself through such terrible, terrible uh, spaces trying to literally like turn out the opposite of where he's headed. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. And I, but I think there's also like, isn't there also a revelry in when you're like just fucking up and you know that there's no consequence for it for like 24 hours and you're like, well, looks like university of Illinois, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to, Use a reference from my favorite movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, just kidding, guys. That's Risky Business, starring Tim Robbins. Um, and, uh, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, once the cat's out of the bag, fuck it, man. Yeah, totally. You know what yep. I mean? Like, like, you're, you're fucking another dude. Your wife walks in the room. And she's like, I am divorcing you. And you hear the front door slam. You might as well finish fucking. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the Garden of Eden. Like, the apple's been pulled. Like, no going back. 100%. And, you know, that's a... I wish I, wish I had thought of that as a metaphor here this is a this album is a story about someone who's taken a bite of the apple Mm. and who's seen what's going on and seen what they want seen the ways they can get it seen like the enticement in like dude i could do whatever i want if i had like a pocket full of fucking Oxycontins mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, and then finds a way to get those because that's not a hard thing to get, mm-hmm. but that gets you everything, yeah. you know, and like, and it, it's it's that kind of like low grade risk reward satisfaction of desire sort of thing that's really at play here, and it I feel like it starts out like the first three songs are. Absolutely hangover song. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, but then, like, once all that shit kicks in, it's like off to the races again. He's like back in the basement with some random teen or whatever the fuck it is, you know? Like, uh-huh. and I mean, is it, it is dark, but it's like, it's just, There's a there's a story arc to this album and it's also like um it's supposed to be evocative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I didn't write it for people to be like, eh, yeah, cool, nice to listen to. <laughs> it's like I have a punk band that people like to listen to. Mm-hmm. I have another punk band that like I put celebrities in so that people will listen to it. Uh, you know, and then I have this, which is like 
I hate to use the term art project because it sounds so lame, but it's really more of an art project. Like if I was, I, 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 I can't apologize for like the notion of trying to explore like the depths of what humans are capable of talking themselves into being okay. Mm. Yeah. You yeah. know? And this song like hits a low point at a certain point that we'll get to it eventually, which is uh very dark. <laughs> but, but uh uh shitty margarita. Yeah. So I really like this song. This song is super fun. I think this is the first song I wrote for the record. Actually, when you're asking about the inception for this record, well, besides the Borden USA song, which is the one that doesn't really fit into this whole thing, but it just turned out too well it's to a, not Yeah, it's good. It. But, I mean, when I hear those harmonies at the end, we'll talk about it later, but I, I was just like, I don't care if it doesn't fit. It's so fucking fun. And I, I can give you a intellectualization of why it is still included. Oh, I think I got one, too. Um, let's, uh, let's talk when we get ooh. there. Yeah, but with Shitty Margarita, so I'm driving with Nick out to Michigan to his, to his mom's house. And um, Nick's like, dude, I can't wait till we hit one of these small towns so we can get a fucking shitty margarita. I need a shitty margarita. <laughs> and I was like, shitty margarita? I'm like, that's like a Cheech and Chong song. <laughs> it's like, wake up in the morning and my head is feeling rough. Drink a shitty margarita because I love that stuff. <laughs> you know, and I wrote that entire song in the car with my mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like, and it like, it's it's a testament to the quality or lack of quality of the song that like I never had to write it down ever. Yeah, I knew every word, and it was supposed to sound like. Well, it's not supposed to sound like Cheech and Chong, because obviously there's a real fucking more ass of reasons why that's not a great idea totally um but um that was the the inspiration like i don't know if you remember the end of up in smoke where they have the battle of the bands Mm -hmm. and it's like my mama talking to me trying to tell me how to live never talking never listen to her because my head is like a sieve you know and it was like that was like the total vibe. And it's like, that's why some of the lines are like, like the barman steps to me and he says, what you fighting for is like, so like <laughs> classic, like Cheech and Chong shit, you know? And like, uh, it, I just think that this song is like, first of all, like when I wrote it, I was like, not my favorite song I've ever written, but I'll be goddamned if I'm not like blessed by some fucking higher power to let me be the person that wrote this yeah. song. Cause it's not like important at all. It's not the best song, but it's like 
delivered to me, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's so like you hear it and it's and the funny thing is uh, <laughs> what like I did, I think like the first, I think it was a Lawrence Arm show because I don't think that I was thinking about any of these songs at the time after this came out and somebody was like, man, you're going to be stuck drinking shitty margaritas at bars and pub clubs for the rest of your life. And I was like, I had not considered that. That is true. I'm about to be stuck drinking shitty margaritas at pub clubs for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, you can see how like the, I mean, Cheech and Chong are like the basis of like, Sort of like a real, like, sort of Sesame Street version of, like, drug-fueled id or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so, like, and also the song just, again, it was, like, fully delivered to me from the heavens. So uh, I, I just was stoked to have it. And then I feel like there's a journey on this song where it comes out that the whole thing is uh heartbreak. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and at the end, like when it turns to the minor, you know, and she told me I was cool and I believed it was true. I mean, this is like the setup for what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and it's the only time that I think that the narrator in this album admits that something affected him. You know, huh. I yeah. Would, I was so gone. I never knew what shitty margaritas do to boys like me and girls like you. Yeah. And then you know, why you gotta get me loose on all these shitty margarita? I mean, pretty margarita, obviously. Margarita being like my sort of like Maria, if I was Brian Fallon or whatever. But um, why you gotta get me loose on all these shitty margaritas is like I'm too wasted and then I'm killing it, I'm killing it. I only need these shitty margaritas. Yeah. Is like I'm done with you. Uh-huh. You know, I got it from here on out. I know what I need in order to like fucking fuel myself. I mean, the psychology right. makes sense. Like anybody who's uh, able to bring this type of self awareness to a person like this is going to uh, get pushed out of the picture as quickly as possible. Yeah, well, I mean, like I almost think of it as like if the first song is like me sitting around waiting to die, looking out at the horizon, being like, just bury me out there and just fucking, I want all these bitches to walk over my fucking uh, concrete square that I'm buried under and write, keep walking, pal, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't want anyone stopping for me. Just, and, uh, but you and me, can fuck right now real fast before uh, I do that dying, you know? And then this song is like, 
Whew, very hungover. Remember what the cause of this all is? You know, mm-hmm. like, is like, she told me I was cool and I believed it was true. <sighs> yeah. You know, like, I, f- I feel like that line is, there's a lot in there. Mm. Like, if you're, if you're a boy... Um, probably if you're a girl too or probably if you're anything in between you've probably felt that feeling where it's like man I believe this person really liked me yeah you know mm-hmm. she told me I was cool and I believed it was true and it's enough to fucking send you on a rough path you know yeah and then it's enough to like lean into the booze or whatever and I guess yeah no totally I you know just had a a flash of uh, because I mean if you're if you like someone a whole lot if it if it turns it's gonna turn hard you got you Mm -hmm. got it all on that end means just gonna fall just as hard lots of shitty margaritas yeah I'm I'm killing it. I only need these shitty margaritas. Um, it reminds me of a uh, time that I was at band practice and we started playing Margaritaville, and we were just like, "This dude just fucking wrote this one night when he was drunk on his porch, straight up." Who? What the fuck song is not written like that though? Huh. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I mean, seeing like, red minor threat just the in truck on a porch you've seen that porch yeah. it's the discord house that's true <laughs> hugs h-u-g-g-z so this is one of the only ones that I had a um, real concrete direction for what I wanted it to sound like mm-hmm. I wrote the bass line, mm-hmm. but I could only play it once. Like I could play, but I couldn't get back to, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, at the time, I mean, and now like I haven't played the bass in so long that I've learned that I can't play the bass at all anymore because um, my hands are so out of shape but um at the time i couldn't i couldn't play it and nick is like virtuous mm-hmm. so i was like here's the bass line i want this to sound like something out of like miami vice or night rider or some shit mm-hmm. driving at night you're the you're wearing sunglasses you can see the orange like blips of the streetlights going by in the sunglasses, yeah. you know, and, um, I gotta be honest, nailed it. Yeah. Uh, this is Rocky four after, uh, Apollo Creed dies and Rocky goes out in the Porsche. Yeah, totally. That's exactly great call. Um, this song obviously is funny. Mm hmm. And then it takes a real turn. Um, I think that's that's a real theme on this record. Uh, yeah. 
but um, these are the best guitar solos I've ever done. Yeah, seriously, like, did you, where do these come from? You kind of got to, like, work to be good at soloing. Mm, not if you're fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, thanks. I, I think there's just a certain point where the I, I've just been playing music so long that it's like the thing I know about is like where to place notes and when not to try some mm-hmm. like total horseshit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so. Um, but these are cool guitar solos, and they fit the record or the the song super well, I think, and kind of don't care like my usual trademark of like janky on purpose guitar solos, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Um, thank you, hands. Um, it's all about and, bending uh, the notes, right? Well, uh, no, there's no. something to <laughs> be said t- about. I think no, you yeah, do well, hold I mean, them really this, well. I think that's what in I mean. this one it is a crucial like. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff, but that's sort of what this song calls for. It's like it's got like a sort of built-in '80s cheese dick quality, and so you want to put in like one of those '80s cheese dick guitar solos, yeah. you know. And you, the last thing you could do is put this guitar solo over anything else uh, <laughs> you yeah. know it's just like it's just coincidence that it fits here like if you're gonna do a dick flexing roadhouse style solo uh-huh. this is the place to do it you ever see mcgruber um, no i've heard it's, it's great so fucking funny speaking of things that took a while for people to come around to mcgruber yeah people people say it's one of the best movies it's so fucking funny so funny my friend wills has a mcgruber tattoo Mm. um i sing this song to the dogs and they love it and if you get if you get on a good track with your pets doing something that they like that's fucking forever yeah man this is another one like kind of like shitty margarita that i was like damn i get to be the person that writes this song Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, I remember Tim from Elway hit me up when this record came out, and he was like, dude, I don't believe that that hugs drugs thing has never come up before. Like, I don't believe that you got to be the guy that did that. And I was like, yeah, no, same. I, I also don't believe <laughs> Yeah, dude, truly. It's just like, it's so simple and yet it's so funny. Like once you catch on and it like takes a second, like the last line in the first verse, like hugs in the bathroom with my boss is being a jerk. It's like, that's a little weird. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, as soon as the second verse starts, it's like, oh, I got uh-huh. it. And so this is one of the first ones that Nick did as, like, a full piece. And um, we had already had the, the Ballad of Buffalo Bill 
done by Derek. But, like, Derek's like, Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. And then Nick did that shit in this song Mm -hmm. to, like, thematically tie it back. And then I sent it to Derek, and he was like, is this some sort of concept album? I'm like, uh, no. But, but, you know, thematically, that bit seems to fit in a lot of these songs. (laughs) Um, That fucking line about when I travel, I get hugs from dudes I don't know. (laughs) I mean, works for the character, also works for the... The real BK. Yeah, no, it, you know, it. I mean, the, a lot of this was an exercise in like trying to be kind of clever, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it was all building towards the end, you know, which is the line from Guns N' Roses. You know what? I don't get out of bed around nine no more. There's a reference to Axl Rose being like, I get up around seven, get out of bed around nine, you know? Uh, and that, and that's just all about drugs, you know? It's like, and I mean, this song is purely about hugs. Um, but you understand that there's an easy way to confuse those two things. I will say that... Uh Listening to this record the first time, this was the song that made me say, like, what is going on on this record? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not... uh, It's not a punk rock song. Mm -hmm. It's not even, like, punk adjacent. Even, like, if you could put the Keep Walking Pal song into a punk adjacent category. There's already like a lot of mental arithmetic going on mm-hmm. there. But I can see how you would do it. Shitty Margarita is just like kind of like a very chill pop song that you could say has got a punk influence or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's a 4-4 song. The, this song is not. This is a this is an 80s MTV rock kind of mm-hmm. song, you mm-hmm. know? It's like, not even MTV, because this is more like a B-side. It's like, this is like the the backside of the sunglasses at night 7-inch or yeah. something. <laughs> you know? Like, and, and like, but, I mean, the intent is to disarm, and like, I, you know, like we said at the top of the... Like we said at the top of the hour term, um, my intent was not to do something that was like immediately crowd pleasing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do what me and Nick have always wanted to do, and this is like where it really kicks yeah. in. Yeah. And and like you know, it's probably where like a lot of people get like lose this record and go, Well, first two songs, fine. Then I'm done. You know, but like, I think, 
I think I think it's fucking worth exploring. Like, and I'm not even trying to defend it. I don't care if anybody likes it. Like, uh, it's just like this is this is this 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 is the shit that we wanted to do. Man. Yeah, don't don't feel like you have to defend it. We're not you're you've already made that case, and I think that. Um, this is just this is just about you doing what you do, and I, yeah, it takes a bit. It takes a bit to say like, why is this a song? And then right, but like, see, Tim, if I don't put words in your mouth, but about like twenty minutes ago, you thought this song was a lot stupider than it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I feel that way yeah. about every song that you're. Right, and we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's good. <laughs> even if it's a smart song, I find out something about it that makes it a little bit smarter. Thus, it was a little stupider. Well, I guess that's true. The lies. So this is when we like really kind of kick into the... <laughs> Dr. Seuss machine. Yeah. I mean, for real. I love that there's like no. I think it's an important detail to this person is that there's no sense of like, I, maybe I'll try to do things differently today. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. This, this, this is a song that fully excises the notion of like, I have remorse from any of mm-hmm. this. You know, um, and, and there's a lot of imagery about how he's like dying. Um, but like, I really, really lyrically am happy with this song. Um, I mean, I'm a dying donkey that's all buzz with flies. They can smell the poker tail when something's about to die. Uh-huh. Um, like, that's, that's about as clever as I get, I think. I don't know. <laughs> like, shit, I don't know. If you guys don't like it, uh, maybe it sucks. But, like, I, I, I was, like, really, like, ooh. Because, like, the whole theme here is there's a, this is a casino song. Mm-hmm. It's about a casino. Yeah. Right? It's about a guy in, well, it's not really about an actual casino, I guess. It's about a guy making his life and reputation into chips to bet on the various games mm-hmm. that his existence offers him. Yeah. And uh, realizing he's running out of chips. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Um, just so, and yeah, and, it's it's hmm? just banking on that score. It's got to come somehow. Right. Totally, totally, and it's like, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's like a a level of lying romantically. There's a level of lying just to literally everyone. There's a level of lying to yourself. Um, it, I mean. 
the truth is that I spent too long among the pits and palms. That's the pit bosses, mm-hmm. the pits in the casino, the palms are what they plant outside casinos, you know? Um, <laughs> Which like, has always been funny to me. Yeah, no, it's 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 always a good idea to take the desert and just, like, slap a bunch of layers of fake skin on it and just, like, try to grow things that would never grow there. Yeah. It's like if you tried to, like, I don't know, fucking grow a volcano out of the top of your head or something. It's like, yeah, it's probably not going to end <laughs> terrifically well. <laughs> yeah, I... I love the way that the music like works as kind of the like slow motion, like walking through getting ready to post up and dude just sounds so fucking sweaty. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I mean like this music is also to like Nick Martin's credit, like so cool. Just that. You know, and like, I don't know, not for nothing, man, but like, if this was a cursive song, it would be one of the most popular cursive songs because people like (laughs) would allow that from Tim Casher, you know? Yeah. But for it to be like a fucking, for me, who's like a punk rocker, people are like, what what does he fucking think? And I mean, like, you know, Tim can write better songs than me. I don't care about that. I'm not trying to flex dicks with anybody. The, but, it's just an objectively cool sounding song, I think. And, uh, you know, I am obviously too close to it to really be able to say that without acknowledging that, uh, not actually a cool song, uh-huh. you know, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but, uh, but like, I, I think this one is really, really neat sounding. Um, and also I think the construction of it is, something I'm really proud of and lyrically I'm really proud of it and it's fucking dark. I mean, this is way darker than Hugs. I mean, it's just like, that end, I mean, like, I lie, 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 lie. It's just like, look, lady, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to be lying to you the whole time. All right, yo, we will pick up Keep Walking Pal and deliver that to you on Friday as per usual. Thank you all so much for your patience, for your time, and for your ears. We'll see you Friday. Thank you, friends. <laughs>